Good morning. You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your inside look at what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm John, and we spent the last four episodes talking about each important ingredient in beer. And today we're talking about how to get them, or really some perspective on what your favorite breweries might be going through to bring you the most exciting beers on the market. Before we get to the Beer 101 section, we're going to try and shuffle up things a bit as we drink through beer number one. Let us know what you think directly by tagging us on Twitter uh, at ThatBeerPodcast. And I'm Harrison. The source code, what is it? Are we living in a simulation? If so, why can't I move my cat with my mind? In short, it's not that kind of simulation. And in today's Beer 101, we're we're not going to try and tackle why we're all here, but instead we're going to focus on what's in my beer, which is a nice Dr. Seuss-style rhyme that just happened. Um, Sourcing materials, of course, is what I'm I'm, I'm talking about, and we're going to talk about more today. It can be a headache, but also full of surprises. So grab your salt and nut roll, and let's get into the Matrix. I mean this episode. Uh, But first... Uh, as a reminder, drink, drinking, <laughs> drinking Socially is released every other Wednesday morning. It can be found at podcast.untap.com. Or wherever you listen to podcasts, provided they're connected to a payphone and you've taken the right, right color pill. That's right. Uh, Essentials. So, That's a given. Yeah. Sorry, Keanu Reeves. Um, <laughs> change up in the air, Harrison. Where are we going? That's right. We're going to start drinking a beer right here, right now, and not just any old beer. Uh, an exciting one, John. What are we? What are we starting with today? I'm pretty excited about this one. That's a that's a fair statement. We're beginning this episode with lunch, uh, ah. like we should begin every meal. Uh, right. The beer from Maine Beer Company, lunch, an American style IPA at seven percent ABV. Um, the way Maine describes this beer for us is it's an East Coast version of a West Coast IPA. Um, intense hot flavors, aromas of tropical and citrus fruits with some pine, uh, which I think we'll taste in this beer. And I'm really looking forward to it. A subtle malt sweetness is going to add some balance to this beer for a long time in my head. This has been like the East coast answer to Pliny the elder, but, uh, but let's jump in and see, I, I can tell by a look on your face, Harrison, this one's going to be good. Ooh, man, the nose before I even drink it. The nose is just right. A big old, it's a great, right. It's. It's a grape. It's just grapefruit. Just screaming grapefruit. It's the morning, and I'm have a half a grapefruit covered in sugar in front of me, about to Ooh, watch Ren and Stimpy. That's a great yeah, yeah. grapefruit recipe. That's it. That's starting the day off <laughs> right. Right. Better than a cup of coffee. Um, man, it really, and it's there's like a dankness, and then I get the pine. But this is, um, I'm excited. It's been a long time since I've had this beer. I'm pumped to uh, to have it. Let's let's do it. Mm. Okay. Ooh. Balanced again. It's maybe my favorite traits in a beer, uh, but my one sip review on this is I, I get the fruit notes, and then they're they're equally matched, right? Like a Superman duel. They're equally matched with the pine, and then the malt kind of ties everything together, which is now a Superman Venn diagram, not a duel. But right, but that's um, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. don't laser fight with three. Keep it at two. I don't know. This beer right. uh, at first sip is it is beautiful. It's it's a it's reminiscent of me in its masterful uh, layering. Mm-hmm. The way that nothing kind of jumps out at me too much. It's reminiscent of the times I've drank a Pliny and just realized that there's there's beauty in the simplicity of doing something perfect. Yep. 
I love it. It's well said. Exactly right. Again, we've said it a, a couple of times, a couple of different ways. When you can do something very straightforward, very well, it's really hard to do uh, when you're not hiding behind things. And what I always loved Maine Beer Co. for, like all their beers, are um, they finish very dry. A lot of them do, and that's a good thing for IPAs, in my opinion, especially IPAs that are more bitter because it, it, the hops just stand out. And it makes you want to take that other sip for a lot of reasons. It complements the bitterness or it accentuates the bitterness rather um, with the way these things finish. I mean, they're super, like, again, straightforward beers. We'll talk about kind of the grain bill in a minute. Um, but, uh, but yeah, these things, first sip, it's a big old, it's a somehow dry, delicious grapefruit. It's just, that's, that's why my brain gets excited for these things. It's like a weird puzzle where your brain's going, this tastes like a juicy grapefruit, but it's also dry. What are you enjoying, Harrison? What's happening out there? Why How is it gone possible? and why do I want more already? Right, exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm having right now. This is great. Man, it, that nose is awesome. It's so, and there's almost like a, it's even more than the, oh, it's like, there's like the sweetness comes from the nose almost. I don't even know. Hmm. All right, cool. What's next? All right, we're doing some fun things today, John. What's happening? So we're going to drink some beer. One sip in. I'm about four sips in. This one's going down really nice. Sips, yeah. Um, Sips, that's right. This is a responsible uh, consumption measurement. Um, So one sip in, we're 7% IPA here, and nothing really encourages creative thinking like a well-made beer. So Mm. let's try something new. For those of you that watched Untapped's virtual festival back in June, you might have seen me kind of challenge Harrison to caption random people's photos of their pets. And it become, became one of my favorite things that we've ever done together. So uh, we don't have a lot of random pet photos here recording this sadly. episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> Please send them. Send keep them coming your random at that beer podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, for a little bit of a, of a uh, we're going to try and add, I don't know, some lighthearted fun. Uh, we came up with a game. I'm going to throw a beer at Harrison verbally, and I'm yeah. going to ask him to tell me, what are we doing tonight? You want to do cars? Let's do cars. I like that. Yeah. That got me thinking about things I don't think about often, especially now. <laughs> cars. Let's do that. Those things that collect leaves out front That's in right. between. <laughs> That's it. Um, okay. So I'm going to throw, we're drinking an American style IPA from Maine. So uh, based on that style, I'm going to throw an American style IPA at Harrison. He's going to tell me what car that would be. Bear in mind, there are no right answers, but there are plenty of wrong ones. Uh, (laughs) Try and find them. Try and not find them. Uh, First one out of the gates, Harrison. Let's start at the top. Uh, A beer from Treehouse, Julius. Ooh, okay. Uh, A Winnebago. A Winnebago is basically a treehouse on wheels. Um, But it's also, it's an American classic. This beer is an American classic, too. It it certainly has been. uh, become one. Uh, So, easy. Winnebago, all day, boom. Um, All right, now I'm going to flip the tables. I'm going to ask John. We'll keep it in New England. Uh, Focal Banger from Alchemist. What are your thoughts there? It's a car. What kind of car? Never flip the tables on a Bills fan. Um, <laughs> but so Focal Banger, hopefully there's some, some car enthusiasts listening. Focal Banger is an Acura NSX. It is a supercar through and through. There's nothing wrong with the NSX, but it always gets overlooked for a Ferrari or something else. And in this case, I think Focal Banger often gets overlooked for Hetty Topper. And, and in my opinion, Focal Banger is one of my favorite beers I've ever had. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. Um, 
This is cool. Okay. So uh, West Coast, Harrison, uh, there's a brewery called Monkish out there okay. that we both yep. love. They make a beer called L.A. Hat. L.A. as in Los Angeles, I'm assuming. It makes, so, yeah, 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 exactly. Right? You can run with this. <laughs> all right. Um, that's right. I remember the label. So, all right. So I'm seeing a rented Lamborghini on Sunset Boulevard. It's driven by an intern. He's trying very hard to make a first impression on somebody. But his only reward will be a month of uh, peanut butter sandwiches because he just spent all his money renting the Lamborghini. So that's uh, – but, you know, if you, if you don't take a big swing, you'll never hit it out of the park or so So someone said. Once. I think that was Maybe. Ken Griffey Jr.'s yeah, – right. um, Or senior, yeah, is the third. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think you're right. All right. Um, let's grab let's, – let's keep it out there on the West Coast. Uh, grapefruit Sculpin from Ballast Point, John. Ah, easy. Grapefruit. Okay. All right. Um, grapefruit Sculpin is the Chevy Cavalier, right? Is is it was <laughs> maybe it's a nice one, but Grapefruit right, Sculpin right. is the car that you and your friends kind of first got that taste of the open road. The first time you were able to drive at night and put some friends in the car with you, not just there your you mom go. or dad who was teaching how to drive. Right, and that's Grapefruit Sculpin. It's that introduction to freedom, and I don't mean that as a knock in the Cavalier. Everybody has it to have a first car and, and sure. Sculpin I think is a good one. And I still love um, driving my parents around. So that's uh, <laughs> the good things ever die as they drink <laughs> grapefruit Sculpin in the back. What a, right. <laughs> um, okay. Let's do one more. Um, there's a, a beer from new Anthem in town that we both love called five thieves. Oh, John. All right. Thieves. So my brain jumps right away to the Bronco Ford Bronco. It's a getaway car. <laughs> And it could comfortably fit five, I think. <laughs> it's got a bench back seat. I think it will comfortably fit. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, that's easy. Bronco, we're cruising. We're, we're out of here. Oh, man. Um, all right. My last one for John is Lagunitas IPA. What do you have here? What's the story this beer tells as a car? Nice. I'm going to ask for forgiveness here, but uh, the Lagunitas <laughs> IPA is not necessarily a specific make model of a car it's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's the car that your your air quotes friend drove in college it it. wasn't it had tinted windows but it wasn't like tinted for like the race car look they were just tinted maybe for privacy reasons there we go um they'd usually have to park like on the street not in your driveway a little bit farther (laughs) away from everything maybe show up to class just a couple of minutes late but the nicest people you've ever met um, right. I think that right. that's how I would that's how I would put Lagunitas IPA in a car, and I'd almost wager that uh, no one at Lagunitas would disagree with that. Right. This sounds like a man who is always has a snack on him. Maybe he has some plastic lined pockets in his pants, giving away Chex Mix or whatever he has. I like this guy. I feel like I know this guy well. I feel like yeah. I may have seen him in the mirror for a couple of years in the past every morning. Um, but uh, but but I love it. This is a. Uh, this has been fun to do something a little bit different and uh, think about these beers in a in a new but familiar way uh, as we enjoy uh, this killer from uh, from Maine. And as it's opening up, I tell you what, John, it's now like it's it's almost like the the grapefruit. There's a little bit of like it's oh, it's so grapefruity, but there's almost like it's not a it's almost a crackery note. There's like a little bit of okay. some more malt coming in now. It's like maybe the the aromatics from the head that are pushing the hops uh, to me are kind of settling down a bit. I'm tasting a bit more of the malt side of this. For that, I'm really grateful that Maine uses these somewhat large format bottles that aren't yes. gigantic. But Yes, I know. That's um, another thing. That's a good point. 
And I have this, I have a sticker from when my sister-in-law visited Maine Beer Co. Mm-hmm. Their motto is like simplicity, which echoes their beer. Just do what's right. Yeah, that's um, right. My gosh, what a nice place we would be living in if everyone just abided to that. Uh, right. So good, too good to be true. Um, but this, uh, this beer on tab, we'll give you some quick facts about it. Uh, so currently, lunch has more than 341,000 different check-ins, and it carries a uh, 4.2 bottle cap rating, which is amazing. But I mean, Meredith, this is awesome. Uh, and more than 165,000 ratings too, uh, which is killer. Now, when I looked at Untapped, I had never checked in lunch, but John, you have, correct? I have. This is going to be my fifth check-in of Maine's lunch. It's a it's a beer I enjoy, um, and oftentimes I still don't check into the same beer. Um, more than once right. as much as I'd like to. Um, but my first check-in for Maine, Maine's lunch, I should say it was almost to the date. It was, uh, huh. the 10th of August, 2016. Oh. Uh, the world was a different place then, but uh, apparently I'm just an early August lunch drinker. And what I remember most about that check-in is it was the first time lunch had ever come to North Carolina that I had ever known about. Right. And so I snapped a quick photo. I think I got uh, Ashley, my wife's arm, holding a pint glass like at the growler station that was pouring, you know, <laughs> like one pint per person type release. Right. So right. I just snapped a really quick photo of it to add it to my check-in. And uh, Kurt Taylor, at that time the CEO of Untapped, <laughs> commented on my terrible photo. Right. And right underneath that, a good friend of mine from Korea came in and said, "Great beer, terrible photo." Yeah, and, and, and it really was. But that's great. Um, nothing like getting picked on for for running out to be the first to try a new beer. I don't I regret it. it at all. Uh, what about you, Harrison? You haven't you haven't know, checked I, into I, this before? But it. I know. I don't know why. I mean, it might have been. I feel like there's some time. Sometimes there's um, uh, bystanders. Something similar to like the bystander effect happens in Untapped. The bystander effect is kind of like, you know, someone falls down in the street and no one goes to help them because everyone assumes everyone else is going to help them. And you all kind of stand there and watch someone flaying down in the street and everyone's like an idiot. So for, but for Untapped, the version of that is every, I've had this beer probably every time I had it. I was like, I'm, I'm sure I've checked this in and I never checked it in. I never went and picked up that person off the street. It was just me imagining that I did. So I've checked in, I've checked in tons of other main beers, um, but uh, not this guy. So I'm going to check it in today for sure, obviously. Um, and it's going to get a, a fantastic rating for me. I mean, it really, I, we say it every podcast, but whatever, like it's taking me back to times I've had it in the past. And I was before we opened, it, I was like, man, I what I remember from beer, main beer co is grapefruit, but very dry and it's delivering again. So this is exactly what I wanted, which is, is great and uh and i was exciting when it's been a while mine's been easily longer than that longer than four years probably been five or six years since i had this that it when i have it again it's like it's like being an old friend from college to pick up kind of right where you left off all the same stories and all that stuff your back hurts a little more but the laughs are still about the same <laughs> what um i don't we can we can delete this if you want but uh if i put you on the spot i know you haven't finished it yet but what are you feeling for a rating on this beer I mean, I think this is, it really has to be like a, about a four or five or so uh, bottle caps. But be, it's just so good personally. And then for the style itself, I mean, it may even be, it's really like, it, it just, I keep drinking and it's just exactly what I wanted and expected. And, and maybe even a little bit better than I remember in some hard to point, pull, pull down kind of way. Um, it's just so well made. You can just taste it in every sip. So, 
maybe even floating closer to closer to a five. We'll see where I land on that point one scale as I continue this. But it's definitely. I mean, this is. You said it like right. The I mean, you could. Yes, if you cannot get Planet of the Elder, as you said, John, and you can get main lunch, you should get main lunch because it's very, very good and it's uh, it's as well made and it's 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 just it's something you should try if you guys haven't yet. As we continue working on Maine's lunch, uh, I want to take an opportunity just to kind of um, talk about some new updates at Untapped. Yeah, um, a lot of stuff is going on. Right, it's been busy. Um, it's hard to keep track of the days, but, uh, but it's not often <laughs> not that I have so many different new things to talk about. So while we sip yeah. on this beer, a couple of quick updates from untapped one, we move the blog. Uh, anybody that's ever looked at the untapped blog before knows it's pretty much just a way to keep track of new badges, you know, whether it's a sponsored badge or uh, a holiday badge, all the, all of them would get posted on the untapped blog and that's going to continue. But we've started hosting it. It's available on, you can go to untapped.com slash blog. You'll find so much more information now going forward. It's, you can actually, Harrison wrote uh, one of our first blog posts about uh, different emojis that get used on Untapped. And it was right. written in the very colorful language that Harrison masterfully uses so well. It was, I thought it was a great <laughs> read. It was really cool to pay attention to. Um, Harrison, do you have, after reviewing those, what was it 10 emojis you did? Do you have a favorite of those? It would probably be the, uh, uh, that's a toss up. It's kind of, I like the laugh, the laughing emoji, laugh face emoji was the number, the 10th most used emoji on a tap. That one, I kind of think I said something to the effect of if you, you know, if a beer a day keeps the doctor away and laughter is the best medicine, if you're checking in a beer and laughing about something you've won. Uh, so that one, um, it was great. Uh, and then I had fun. I was, I was laugh at the, the two mugs cheersing, I have this like weird. Every time I see it, I think of like a ghost and a ghost having a, a party. <laughs> their glasses floating there, only excited about whatever ghosts get excited about, only to be let down. And they try and drink it, and it just like falls right through them and hits the floor and so on. So um, that one was the number one, which makes sense. Uh, uh, use emoji on untapped. So there were a lot of funny things in the middle. I kind of got angry about. I don't people using sunglasses for some reason. I don't know, but check it out. I, I kind of let it all let it all loose on the in the post and, uh, give my two cents, whatever it's worth, which now with this market, it's about, about a, about a cent and a half, maybe if we're lucky. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but anyway, yeah, we, it was fun. Greg tweeted out, you know, the most uh, used emojis on untap. And I thought, well, let's, let's find out a little more about this. And we'll see what's going on here and add some fun with it. Awesome read. Um, you. you can find inter- uh, not interviews, good night, um, articles written, uh, Hannah, who helps us out with a podcast a lot, wrote an article uh, highlighting some of the trending beers. And I know she's kind of iterating on that. We've seen uh, a couple of posts about just beer trend, beer trends on Untapped, which is yeah. really exciting. Um, other news, Untapped.tv or Untapped TV got a fresh coat of paint. Uh, Greg kind of reorganized the way that that site looks. In my opinion, he it went. It looks so much better now. Um, you can find all the previous live interviews he's done with people. Where we're talking about brewers, uh, beer journalists, influencers in craft beer, uh, and they're always coming up with new ones. Usually about two new interviews a week that'll get posted live, and then you can go to Untapped TV and watch them later. We're thinking maybe eventually even you'll be able to watch. Uh, drinking socially YouTube videos right on there as well. Yeah. And the last 
bit, which is kind of hard to process right now, but um, we, Untapped announced that we're relaunching the Untapped Charlotte Beer Festival, which is a real life beer festival, and it's still again kind of hard to imagine. Those of you that had tickets, the original date was May 16th. Obviously, that didn't happen. So if you still have those tickets, you're ready to go. The new date is Saturday, April 24th at Bank of America Stadium. And you're welcome to come join us. If you can't attend, you can still claim a refund on that ticket as well. Of course, we'll put a link to that article in the notes of the show. But for those of you that are going to be around and available April 24th, 2021, Drinking in person. Um, I know Harrison's going to be there, and I'm going to be there, and we're going to start drinking as soon as we can. That's right. Uh, so hopefully we can catch up with some of you guys out there. Bring your hoagie necklace, or maybe I'll have a table where we, we make them together. I don't know. It's a craft right, project. Right. Sure, that's good. Everyone pass the deli meat. Probably not, but uh, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but this is exciting. It's cool to look forward to something like that. Uh, so pump we got the date out there, and yeah, come hang out with us. Come drink some beers in person with our people. It'll be fun. Otherwise, let's get back to lunch real quick and just kind of round this out. Yes. Um, we got some specifics about this beer that I'm going to ask Harrison to provide for yeah. us. But the story I was hoping to share was about the whale. I love it. Um, right there. Right there. It's beautiful. That's her. Right on I'm the beautiful. label? Yeah, if you look on the label on lunch, that little looks like kind of like a, just a line above the word lunch is the back of this humpback whale lunch. But yeah, John, yeah, John has the story about uh, about. It, it was something I didn't actually believe when, when I, you know, how many like kind of beer fables get written, passed from tap room to tap room. But uh, the rumor is that Lunch is actually the name of a whale that was off, has been spotted off the coast of Maine since 1982, uh, which is which is a 37-year-old whale plus. Um, so that's outstanding. She has what looks like a, a bite that's been taken out of her fin, and that, as, as Maine will say, that adds to her unique character. The really cool part is that uh, that whale named Lunch off the coast of Maine is what inspired this beer from Maine Beer Co. Basically, that whale's determination to keep swimming was kind of became kind of a mantra in the brew house. Like, let's just keep going until we get it right, and yep. it explains the really weird beer name as well. As I love well. it. I know, right? What a hilarious name for a whale that's got a chunk missing, probably from a shark attack or whatever, to call that whale Lunch. And then it's Shark Fest right now. If you're watching this live on Nat Geo and Shark Week on Discovery, there's all kinds of sharks out there. So cool to have a, a whale of a tail of a beer here to mix it in there. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is um, specifics about the beer, though. Let's get into what the heck is actually in this thing. So um, in terms of hops, so they use uh, Amarillo, Centennial, and Simcoe. Those are the three that are featured in this beer. And the uh, malt bill is mostly American two-row, then some carapils, caramel 40, which is what gives it this color combined with the, the uh, American two-row, and then, then Munich 10, which also imparts a bit of the color, and then a bit of that crackery flavor I was getting, as well as some red wheat to add some body to it and some uh, some nice fluffy head that this thing started out with. So it's it's um, pretty straightforward. The red wheat's a cool touch to give it you know, a little more of a body. It is, it's not a hazy beer, but it is definitely not also completely see-through. It's got some nice haze to it, uh, thanks to that red wheat in part and the carapils. Um, this thing's available all year, uh, which is pretty cool. So if you're near it, available to get it, again, grab a bottle. This thing's awesome. But classic American hops, um, some really, um, again, really, really great malt bill. 
The Munich 10, also kind of like a nice little, I'm sure there's just a touch of that in there, but it does, it just gives another dimension. It gives it a little bit more body and a little bit of that malt up front, but not too much where you're, you're overwhelmed. Your palate's kind of like, what am I? I'm exhausted. It's, it's Like I said, it's still uh, sipping pretty dry right now. Mm. Ah, yes. Yes. Wrapping up this one, it's bigger, right? We've talked a lot, especially as it's gotten warmer, about lagers and that kind of clean, crisp, refreshing. This this beer isn't going to give you that just mow the lawn, 95 degrees out sort of refreshment. No. But to Harrison's point, that dry finish, it Mm. just – I mean, I'm drinking it maybe faster than I should, but it's late. It's been a long day, right? We've all earned this. Yep. So uh, that dryness for me helps me just kind of keep coming back and grabbing another sip. And I'd equate that to the reason I love this beer so much. Yeah. Yep. It's a big grapefruit, fluffy thing. And it's uh, it, man, this is right mm. now, right. Again, kind of the mouthfeel is what's getting me excited. It's like very light. It's dry. It's makes it's easy to drink. It's not crushable. You're right, John, you want to finish the lawn and then inhale this unless you want to take a nap. And that's great. Um, good for you but uh <laughs> but man i'm pumped it's been again a long time i'm excited you, you found this and decided we should yeah we should do this on the cast because this is taking me back and i want to describe every bottle i can find in town so look out here in wilmington get this beer soon i may maybe i'll take rabbit it all um one of the so before we get to our ad break um Har- harrison has done some research and i love this next kind of a uh, little talking point segment. Um, if you're yeah. listening along, please reach out, hit us up on Twitter, let us know uh, how this new format or the first half of the show has been going. Let us know what you like or what we could do better. But I'm really excited. Uh, Harrison, uh, can you start with the name of this segment? Because I love listening to you say it. Right. It's the top hop spot. And I nailed it because of horror was the hop, the hop top spot and the pot hot top and the top hop hat, spotter, hat, pot hat, spot. Hat, right. The hat tap app and whatever. But now it's none of that. It's just the top hop spot. I'll never get that right again. Um, but I did today, uh, which is great. And so we're going to kind of, again, as John said, it's a new segment. going to kind of highlight ingredients, start a lot of hops out there. So here, let's talk about hops and pick one each time uh, each episode and, Break it down. So today we thought it'd be uh, an easy one to start with Centennial. So not only is it in lunch, the beer we just enjoyed, it's also my favorite hop, if I can claim such a thing, um, and a really a foundational one for uh, American craft beer. So um, uh, so a quick kind of backstory, background uh, for Centennial. Oftentimes it's referred to as Super Cascade. So Cascade is another hop. It has, uh, but it's that hop's been around longer than Centennial, so that's a, a good reference point because it has similar kind of citric, citrus-forward characteristics. We were talking a lot about grapefruit today. So, again, um, citrus flavors. It's uh, really, um, in the brewing world, kind of celebrated Centennial is for how versatile it is. It can great, give you great bitterness, but it also has that amazing grapefruit quality to it uh, when, on the flavor side uh, with some undertones of you can pick up lemongrass and pine needles, uh, but really kind of like the grapefruit and the citrus flavors are what uh, what are most prominent, uh, which are also very prominent in Cascade hops uh, as well. And um, often compared to um, our, and can be exchanged with, if you like run out of this hop in the brew house, you need to make a beer right away with, with it should have centennial. You can oftentimes replace it with hops like Chinook, Galena, Nugget, Zeus, Columbus, and of course Cascade. Uh, we'll talk about all those hops as we go through this uh this new spotlight now. It was developed, Centennial was, in 1974, actually, 
at Washington State University. So if you don't know, they have a, a Washington State uh, has a like a hop breeding program where they will take hops. In this case, it was Brewers Gold, Fuggle, and East Kent Goldings, which are all uh, UK hops uh, historically, and breed them to make a new species of hop. And from those, that kind of lineage uh, gave us Centennial, um, which is pretty cool. So uh, uh, two guys, Chuck Zimmerman and S.T. Kenny, got to work in the 70s about that, but it wasn't released until 1990. Centennial was for the, the beer world to kind of consume and start using Good timing is that, you know, craft beer kind of started starting to take off, but really kind of took off just a few years after that. So, again, to my kind of earlier statement, of definitely one of the founding hop fathers of American craft beer for sure. Um, usually found in IPAs and pale ales. However, uh, a lot of stouts use them, too. And we actually use them uh, like imperial stouts to kind of cut through um, that heavy kind of body of a hop. Nice to have something high in bitterness, high in alpha acids, which is what um, Centennial is most of the time. Beer is with it. Lunch, of course, we just had it. Bell's Two-Hearted. So if you can't get lunch, you probably can get Bell's Two-Hearted. That features exclusively Centennial hops, and now they're just grown in Michigan. So Michigan Centennial hops is really cool. Coming up, August 15th, Two-Hearted Day. Uh, so if you good, you need another reason to grab Two-Hearted, go ahead and grab it. Um, we're going to celebrate it. Everyone's going to celebrate that day. It'll be fun to watch that beer jump at the top of the uh, top uh, trendy beers on Untapped. Yep. Russian, we have Russian Rivers Pliny the Elder, which we also spoke about today. Has it in it. Dogfish at 60 Minute is a classic example of just using this and Cascade. So, again, a very similar hop to it. Uh, and then North, Co- North Coast, North Coast, so Old Rasputin. So there's an example of an uh, Imperial Stout that drops this in there with Cluster and I think a, one more uh, hop. Uh, just to kind of give that beer is 75 IBUs, which we've had in the, the podcast in the past. It's a, again, it's a big stout, but it's, it's not all malt. It's backed up by a great, great hop profile and Centennial kind of leads the charge there. So uh, we're going to write a quick blog post about this with some links to these beers and some more um, on Untapped that have uh, Centennial in it. So you can kind of find them near you if you haven't had this beer before or a beer that features it prominently and go out there and check it out. And so you can, if you can't grab lunch, you can grab something similar to what we're experiencing today and, uh, all the while, uh, kind of celebrate how cool Centennial is and how important it is uh, for the crappy world we're all lucky to live in today. Yeah, that's the, it for yeah. The beers you named going through, obviously, <laughs> lunch is like lunch is kind of a whale, and also in real life, a whale. <laughs> a lot that of it was whales named after um, <laughs> Bell's Two Hearted. The beers you were naming are like classic examples of the things I kind of I was getting excited about when I was learning what craft beer was and yeah. they're still relevant today. One of the hardest taste tests I've ever done was Bell's two hearted versus founder Centennial. Yes. Sure. Um, and example, I understand yeah. that they're different, but man, that was, that's so hard. Um, if you want to have some fun on Bell's two hearted day, do, do a, a Centennial themed blind taste test. I would love that. That's right. Of course, it's another beer, of course, hence the name that features it. But yeah, like, like, like we said, we'll pop some in the blog and share more with you there. And, um, and yeah, hope you enjoy this new top hop spot. I'm going to bring a next one next time. We'll see what it is and see how I mess up the name, and uh, and uh, it'll be great. But <laughs> before then, we got a lot more beer to drink, got some fun stuff to talk about, and of course, let's do a quick little check-in with uh, someone from the Untapped store with some messages and things, a familiar voice and face or whatnot. Let's jump in there, and we'll see you on the other side uh, for a huge stout that I'm excited to drink. drink. Really, really excited about this.
Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, more. Depending on how hot or cold you are, go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast when you check out. That'll get 20% off anything you order. That's store.untapped.com. Use the coupon code podcast, 20% off for you. Plus, it lets them know that you guys are listening, and we love that here. Excellent. Okay, guys, and we are back with really the beer of the moment right now. Black is beautiful. It's not just a beer name. Uh, it's a statement. It's a ideology. It's exciting and amazing, and um, and I'm pumped to be holding one in my hand from uh, not just one brewery, but like 11 breweries. So we're going to get to that. On top of that, like a thousand other ones. But this one we have today was brewed uh, by Gizmo Brew Works in North Carolina. It's an imperial stout. It's 10%. Um, and really, the, the, the highlight of it is right on the can. It says, brewed to support justice and equality for people of color. Um, that's all you need to know. Now, we're going to get into the recipe in a moment, but this is, I'm just pumped to drink it for so many reasons. It's such a cool idea. John and I were there uh, talking with, when Greg was talking with Marcus at the virtual festival about this beer, when he was kind of like announcing to the world and telling more people about what it was going to be like and uh, and, and the response he'd gotten right away from su- support from other breweries. So excited about that. Also, it's an Imperial Stout and it's 10%. I want to drink this thing and get excited about Imperial Stouts when it's 100 degrees outside. It's going to be <laughs> wonderful. They're all temperature is the right temperature for beer. That's right. Ooh. But John, you've already opened it up and you're having some fun faces over there. What's, I mean, what's happening? The nose. There you go, Harrison. Um, the nose mm. oh. is just to me straight coffee beans. Just, yes, oh, I mean it's, it's coffee all day. It, this is this is. I'm I'm glad to have another can for yeah. maybe lunch tomorrow. This is. I don't even get anything else. There's not even beer in the nose. It's just like coffee beans. It's beautiful. Oh, man, it's like it's like Vietnamese espresso. It's like that intense coffee that like is almost like that you can almost taste. The creaminess of it in this nose, man. Okay, yeah. I, I, I want to give you a, a okay. I'll give you a one sip review, but I, I immediately want to go back for a second. This is amazing. Um, to your point, Ooh. creamy Vietnamese coffee. This is it's coffee. It's not overpowering. It's not bitter. It yeah. almost tastes nitrogenated to yeah. me. Like it's so smooth and creamy. So creamy. And man. The, the coffee flavor lingers. Uh, th- I'm coming. I'm, I'm going to shut up. I'm going back for more. What do you think, Harrison? Yeah, this is amazing. Absolutely right. Coffee nose all the way in. And then when you drink it, I mean, this is, a, this is as we've said before, when we've had, you know, Imperial Stouts in front of us, set number one and set number five and set number 10 are going to be like three different beers, really. Like this is such a temperature-dependent, oxygen-dependent kind of drink that it's just going to keep changing every second it's out of the can but the first like taste it's yep it's right it's it's dry but it's not bitter like it's not aggressive at all and it's in the in the kind of coffee notes that i'm getting out of this thing um and the darker roasted malts that are clearly making up most of this beer um and then coffee jumps in the back there it's a lot of coffee it's a lot of and as far as we know there's no coffee in this so the actual recipe from weathered souls uh that they shared out with um, with all the 
the breweries that are uh, brewing their kind of own take on it, uh, highlights the grain bill as uh, about 51% of it is two-row malt. So that sounds like a lot, but as we talked about in other podcasts, we run a one like 70, usually most beers, even Imperial Stouts are like 70% two-row. So this is way down to 51, and the rest is Cara Foam, which is very similar. In fact, pretty much identical to the Cara Pills that was in lunch. And then Flaked Oats, which gives lots of body. Uh, one uh, that makes up 12% of it. 9% of this grain bill is 120 Lovabon. So like this is very dark caramel malt and then dark chocolate malt, black malt, and a little bit of dextrose. So uh, to finish it off. So you get the, and sometimes black malt is, can be, um, they have, most of it's debittered, uh, debittered black malt because it can be uh, like tanniny, like very bitter. And it's kind of, unenjoyable this is not that at all <laughs> uh, i would suggest they use the bitter black malt which most breweries do um and that dark chocolate malt which is uh is great and the hop, hop schedule is just cascade at 60 minutes and then kind of uh, halfway through and then it flame out if you want but it's they're kind of suggesting a neutral bittering hop you don't have cascade on hand um but this is uh, as far as we know gizmo and the breweries they brew this with which we have, we'll talk about in a moment um brewed this recipe pretty much straightforward uh as uh, as marcus and whether it's souls uh released it and this is awesome what a cool base beer um which brings me to my next point i've seen tons of versions of this where it's like this is the base beer and then it's like peanut butter or it's you know other stuff any chocolate in here i saw one that had like five different adjuncts in it that sounded crazy um and exciting and that's what this is all about is we can have a base beer and then try something else that's that base beer with more things in it it gets very exciting you can kind of compare and contrast and it's, it's pretty cool so yeah, uh, take take a minute and kind of uh, help everyone understand. So black is beautiful. Almost no matter where you live in the country right now, you're going to see a, a version of this beer. But it's not like uh, Weathered Souls got into distribution countrywide. Right. Um, no. It, not that I would mind because this is great. But kind of explain, you know, how. Okay, so Marcus and, and his team they built the recipe for this beer, yeah. and now we we see Gizmo from North Carolina making the beer. It's got the same label. How does that kind of pan out? In uh, I know this is a new uh, process or procedure, but how does that work in in the brewing world, Harrison? Yeah, I mean, so this is right, very unique. I mean, this kind of it's this call to action that Marcus and Weathered Souls kind of started absolutely started um and the response from other breweries and that's that's really what happened is marcus kind of reached out or, or let people know hey we're doing this beer it's called black is beautiful we'd love if uh any breweries out there wanted were interested to brew it as well and had the proceeds support um a nonprofit that's supporting you know something like black is uh, black lives matter uh, or the aclu or naacp um you know in your community and he was hoping for a hundred breweries and now more than a thousand in 20 different countries and every state, uh, is, is brewing it. So this was, he said, Hey, I'm trying to help out. I want to help out our community. And every, all these breweries responded and said, we do too. Let's make this happen. And, and now we're drinking kind of the, the, the fruits of that labor. And, and this is, this is phenomenal. Yeah, that's an awesome point to see how, uh, kind of how you can use beer to spread a message. And I, I think if I can, if I can, opinionate how open the brewing community is to that. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's, there's no bones about it. Most of the professional brewers are white males, right? There's 300 and 330 plus breweries in North Carolina. Two of them are, are black owned breweries. Yeah. Um, but 
the fact that now Marcus in, in Black is Beautiful has been brewed by, you said, over a thousand breweries, right. one in all 50 of the states, all 20 countries. That's, uh, I think that's a great kind of initiative and beginning. And I really, really hope that we see more action come from this. Yeah, exactly right. It's a, such a great start. Um, and so cool to see how fast it spread. And just hearing Marcus talk about it uh, at the festival was so cool. Obviously, he's, he was very excited and optimistic. And, and it's just, it's just, again, it's, it's, um, you know, it's amazing when people come together around a, you know, the shared cause and, and start doing something about it. And, and that us as beer fans, just by drinking amazing beer, can also support things that really impact people that, uh, that need help. So this is, uh, I mean, it's, and it, and then it's an amazing beer on top of that. Like that really can't be like, <laughs> I want to make sure that gets, gets through. This is amazing. This is delicious. Uh, I want like, I want this to be a beer they people brew every year. I'm going to look forward to something like this or miss it if it doesn't come back again. This is, this is phenomenal. Yeah, and so you mentioned earlier there's 11 collaborators. Uh, we've had a few beers on the podcast with three, I think, is probably the most. 11 collaborators on this beer from Gizmo. I'm going to list them out for those of you paying attention at home. Yeah. Top of the Hill Brewery and Restaurant, Full Steam, Carolina Brewing Company, Raleigh Brewing Company, Linwood Grill and Brewing Concern, Noose River Brewing Company, Compass Rose Brewery, Clouds Brewery, Jordan Lake Brewery, and Tobacco Road Brewery, all North Carolina-based breweries that collaborated on this beer. Any idea what that looks like, Harrison? Is that like, uh, I mean, I think of like all the group projects I was in in college where, you know, like, <laughs> right. oh, you go ahead and make the presentation and I'll, right. I'll be here tomorrow. Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I'll hand you the glue stick. Okay. <laughs> you need to do. All right. Yeah. Right. And, it, and I mean, I have no idea what actually happened. The only thing I can pull from is my personal experience from other collaborations I've done. Um, and from reading about this beer, but I would imagine that since I mean, the, the proceeds of this are going uh, for this beer, specifically the one we're drinking from Gizmo, it's going to the, um, I believe the ACLU's North Carolina chapter. Is that right, John? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So all the proceeds are going there. So I would imagine those, those breweries are, you know, splitting the cost of the ingredients and packaging and paying the brewers to make it, all that stuff. That's their collaborative on this is they're, you know, they're investing in it. They're, they're paying for this beer to be made uh, and, and then and getting it out there in front of people so they can enjoy it. And, and then all the proceeds, of course, will go to the ACLU in North Carolina. So that's probably what this is like. And I, I think even more so because of just the state of the world being in the middle of a pandemic, probably not the best idea to be having a collaboration brews happening all the time, especially with 11 different breweries in one room. Um, you know, so uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's just kind of supporting each other, making it happen, maybe collaborate on the recipe. It could also be instead of it's as simple as like, Hey, take some of my pale malt. We have some dark malt over here. Carolina brew co full steam has the yeast, you know, gizmo brings the hops. It could also be literally we already have these ingredients. Let's bring them over to gizmo drop them off, have them brew it. So it could have been a couple different ways um, this happened. I know that uh, every Philadelphia Beer Week, the breweries around Philadelphia brewed a beer called Brotherly Suds. And nice. every, Very every year, exactly. Yeah. Every year, every year was different. And that was all the brewer. Well, what it was, what it was presented as is all the brewers getting together, making a beer together. But what was actually happened was all the brewers got together and, 
drank a bunch of beer, and the assistant brewer that was on shift that day, out of brewery they made it at, actually made it, uh, sweating in like the, the mash tun and, and <laughs> killing himself making this huge beer. Um, so, um, and then I, I read other collaborations where, you know, um, right, it's, it's, it's more hands-on, but there's no right or wrong way to do it, and there's no kind of mold you have to fit in. Um, but for this one, I mean, clearly, you know, obviously they're all aligned with this message. I want to get it out there. I wanted to be a part of it. Um, and it really, it may very well have been um, as many breweries as we see in this one collaboration kind of driven by the pandemic. They maybe all wanted to brew it or all wanted to collaborate on it in different ways, but just couldn't logistically do it. So decided let's stay safe and be safe and let's get Gizmo what they need to make this beer and, and make it happen and support them every step of the way. So, um, and that's ultimately, you know, again, too many cooks in the kitchen. It's probably good to say, you brew this beer at your brew house. You know how it works. Let me support you however you need me to, but you can't like, it doesn't make any sense to have like 10 people take a turn to the mash paddle. Well, well, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> like, how, that's how we make cookies growing up. But, I think, uh, what was that? Uh, this, this particular beer, um, w- one thing that I, I find really cool in the way untapped works is like, you haven't seen black is beautiful as a top trending beer, but it's because there's so many different versions of it. Like we're drinking oh, yeah. the Gizmo one yeah. uh, earlier today. I drank one that was a collaboration between Wrightsville beach and true colors, oh, nice. brewing, um, which is a cool brewery. That's kind of in the process of, of getting their feet underneath them and, and, and producing some beer. We'll, uh, hopefully have them on the show soon, oh, yeah. but, um, but in, and I can, cause this was just a few hours ago that I had their version of this beer and it was entirely different. There was a little more huh. vanilla. The coffee wasn't there at all. So mm. what, what I think is really cool is that this black is beautiful beer has been checked in by so many people, but so many different variations of it. Yeah. And it's, there's a badge for it on untapped. You can look and you can see all the beers that are available in the badge. Um, but this is, I think it's cheers to you, you know, Marcus for kind of setting this ship in motion and, and cheers to everyone else for, you know, paddling along, uh, and, and putting us in the right direction. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is, uh, this is awesome. This is delicious. And right now, exactly. Unfortunate. Well, not unfortunate, but it's just the way Untap works is that you're right. There is no, since every brewery is making their own beer, there is no page you can go to and say, uh, checked in as many times, as many people, so on and, and so forth. Um, but I have to imagine, and maybe we'll kind of pull this, some of this stuff and share it with you guys later. That this, this, all the version of this beer combined must be, you know, one of the top rated trending beers. Um, after right now, and probably hasn't for a while. So cool that we're drinking one. This is the first time I've had at any of them. And now I knew I would open up this, this, this path and be like, okay, I need to try everyone I can get. And I need to compare them all. And I need to source them and have some in six months. And, my brain is immediately going into how can I spend as much money as possible? Um. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true. I mean, like your point about, you know, here's the base recipe, but also feel free to implore any creative desires you have. So this is, I mean, for me, this is my dream. Give me 12 different, I want to go to a tapas restaurant. Um, That's an appetizer Uh. restaurant. If my dad's listening, it's not a tapas (laughs) restaurant. Um, but I, I want that variety. Give me six different pale ales with the same base. I, I love kind of picking differences in there. And, and this is a great beer if you have a few of them in your area. Absolutely. Uh, if you grab everything you can. From the two that I've had today, they can be very different. 
that's really cool. All right. And again, that, that's, that's what makes this exciting. That's what makes any collaboration exciting. And certainly something like this, it's really, really unique. And I, oh man, I don't, I mean, it's probably the most, the widest, um, I guess, shared or brewed collaboration beer where there is variation in courage. So again, base recipe is the same, but have it in New York or have it in the same town like you did today, two different versions of it, and they're wildly different, which does make it very interesting. And it's like a beer fan. Again, my like the kind of collector and person in me, the beer fan in me is like, let's go and get them as many as we can and kind of try them back to back because who knows, maybe again, same exact recipe, fruit states apart. Or maybe some kind of difference there that I want to pick up on and experience before it's before it's gone. Um, this is cool. And this is an amazing segue for our next topic in the show today, which is Beer 101 sourcing materials. Um, the point you were kind of touching on, Harrison, where like, you know, people brewed this beer in New York. It was originated, the recipe was made in Texas. It's in 20 different countries. So the first question I have, like as, as a, a former chef, right? right? Like you can't get the same spinach is generally spinach, but you can't get the same ingredients from even region to region uh, if yeah. you're getting them really locally. So I'm really sure. excited to kind of work through our, our beer one on one topic, which is sourcing materials today for your brew, uh, yes. getting ready for the brew day, which we'll talk about on episode 18 coming up. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm I'm ready if you are, Harrison. Let's do it. Exactly right. Let's go. Let's get in there, John. What do you got for me? So question number one, um, there's, I think, a big difference for, for many reasons in sourcing materials for like a homebrew weekend, a five-barrel professional brewery, and a, you know, like a, a giant beer factory. So <laughs> it, maybe. Um, I don't know. I, I would assume there is, at least in volume. But let's kind of start at the beginning, and I want to kind of learn what goes into sourcing those materials. So like when I'm getting ready to make dinner, it might be a Blue Apron box, not sponsored, a Blue Apron box that's dropped off at my porch. I might swing by the grocery store. If I'm lucky, I might go to the farmer's market. When when we're talking about how a brewery is putting a beer together, how does that like kind of shopping list formulate? What's you know what's it like sourcing materials to make a beer? Sure, yeah, that's a that's a great question. And really, I mean, um, it's all about your suppliers, just like a chef, or just like you walking to the grocery store, choosing one grocery store over the other, or choosing you know the lettuce that comes from this farm compared to this other farm. Like you have these at a farmer's market, you have these decisions to make. Uh, same with a brewery. So, um, and there are a lot of, um, so you can go right to the supplier itself and say, I want to work with this farm that makes this hot, these hops or that, you know, mills this grain or whatever, or you can use kind of wholesalers and suppliers who have connections with all these farms already, um, and build relationships there, but it's just about relationships and about building them with, um, with, uh, people you like, business you like for whatever reason, just like any other, um, business out there, you're kind of, go and explore the kind of exploratory part of any new brewery is a lot of fun. We will go out there and kind of smell the hops from this farm. And I mean, they'll send you samples in a briefcase. A lot of these um, malt houses of all their malts, little sample packets of it, even like small batch sizes of it. So you can brew like a five gallon batch of beer with the malt from this, this wholesaler who has these um, suppliers and test it out, like literally brewer some beer, which is pretty cool. Um, pretty cool to get very hands-on and, and sample stuff before you even open your brewery. So that's absolutely possible in pretty much every malt house. And then 
uh, and supply house for breweries offer samples like that ahead of time. On the homebrewer side of things, which is what is really cool right now, is that a lot of these same companies that uh, are um, supplying hops and yeasts and malt to commercial brewers, they're also supplying them to homebrewers. You can get like the same hops and malt that your favorite brewery is using and the same yeast and all that stuff and make a clone of that beer pretty easily now. Like how it come from the same farm, same batch, all that stuff, uh, and really match it up, which is it's, that's not always been the case. So it's an amazing time to be a home brewer. You could, uh, with you know, good practices and equipment, make like pretty much an identical beer to something you're enjoying from from a, a commercial brewery that obviously is um, you know t- much bigger and uh, has the advantages of a, that a commercial brewery does. You can duplicate stuff in your garage now that uh, you couldn't five ten years ago, which is really cool. Okay, that's actually really exciting. Um, I, any advantage a home brewer can get is outstanding. Um, so next question then, I want, I want to talk about hops just because I think that was yes. the most listened to of the beer 101 episodes we did was about hops and right. they're the most exciting part of beer today. So, yeah. you know, we talked about lunch, it's, uh, Amarillo Centennial Simcoe. I, I'm pretty sure I said I mispronounced all of those. Um, is, is it easy enough to run, like, do you just, like, go out to the hop store and, and grab, like, a hand? I need Amarillo. I'll be back tomorrow right. for more. Exactly. Like, how does that, how does some, how's hop purchasing work? Right. Scoop it up, like, out of the jelly bean store. Yeah, it'll exactly. take a little bit of this one. Just pull your bag over and we'll <laughs> you make, mix your own. So it's not quite that that easy. And really, I mean, so the hop market has changed a lot over the past couple of years. Ten years ago, uh you really couldn't, as a hop farmer, plant hops fast enough. Like, literally could not do it. Each year, Hop Union, which is now Yakima Chief, uh, they're a collection of farmers, hop farmers in the Pacific Northwest. They would plant about 10% more hops year over year, um, but the demand was 20% more hops year over year. So they could not keep up. And it takes, uh, on average, about four years for, like, a hop rhizome and a hop crop to mature from the first year you plant it to when you can actually harvest it. So like keeping up with demand was really impossible in a huge hop producing part of the world uh, in Oregon and, uh, and uh, Washington state. So um, you had breweries and so, and, and breweries knew that. So you had breweries like stone that would buy like their hop contract for five years at a time. Like I remember at one point when I was brewing, they were, um, they were secure through 2020. And so hop contract is, this is what it sounds like. At the beginning of a year, you go to your, the hop farmers and you say, I need this many pounds of Amarillo and Centennial and Citra and so on. And they say, okay, we can guarantee you that much. And you accept shipments when you need it and all that stuff. And you're signing a contract with that farm and committing, you know, that you're going to pay the price they're offering and, uh, and you want as much as they're going to offer you. So, um, so that has to be done in advance. And so on knew that and saw where the kind of time was going and did a good job of getting in front of it. There are other even larger international breweries that would kind of do the opposite of that. And they would come in year over year and buy all the hops of a certain style, like Cascade, which is in the recipe Marcus gave out for uh, this beer and probably in this one um, and all over the place. We talked about earlier with Centennial being a super Cascade. Um, that beer is like one of the most produced hops or that hop rather one of the produced hops in the world. And breweries would buy that up year over year, like almost all of it, leaving craft brewers kind of like looking around like, hey, where can I, I get this? I need this for the beer I uh, always brew. A good story I always share is Two Roads Brewing in Connecticut. It's now, you know, it's very storied, won tons of awards. 
Bill Murkowski is our head brewer who literally wrote the books on saisons and farmhouse sales. He's a he's a master. When they first started, and we've had him on the, if you haven't seen it yet, jump on Untap TV and talk, look at our interview with him, Greg, and him had a blast. He's such a cool guy to listen to and talk about beer. Um, if you really want to nerd out, he's, uh, he's amazing. And um, so two roads, they opened up. Um, they literally couldn't get enough hops. Like they, they knew year one, we can't make as much beer as we could in this huge, like half a million barrel brew house because it just hops didn't exist. They couldn't get them. They were already spoken for. And so they kind of dealt with this spot market which is just what it sounds like, kind of either hop farms, maybe have a little bit more of a, of a hop because someone didn't need quite as much and they had to give it up for sale or a brewery is like, we've got too much. We hear you want some. They were kind of like battling in this like almost second tier market paying premiums for a lot of hops because they just couldn't get them. And now they're making beers like Too Juicy, which is amazing. I put it up there with any double IPA in the world, but it took a long time to get there just for logistic, the logistical bottleneck of so many breweries are opening at once. There are only so many hops and hops take time to, you know, mature and become usable. So and I, I was in Connecticut when that happened and kind of experienced it firsthand where year over year, their road to ruin, which is their flagship IPA changed where now it's like, again, amazing and, and a great go-to IPA, but it's totally different today than it was uh, when they first started, which was really just due to demand and supply and all that kind of basic economic stuff that uh, hops is a really good example of. Yeah. That story you were kind of telling reminds me of like every year when a new PlayStation or Xbox comes out, right? you know, and you buy, uh, not you evil people <laughs> buy as many as they can. And then would go, I mean, I remember like seeing the PlayStation two on eBay for a thousand dollars. Yeah. Right. Perhaps the second tier hop market didn't get to that point, but yeah. it's something I didn't often Consider, right, when yeah. you're drinking that beer. Sure, and, you know, right. um, That brings a, a, a good point for my follow-up question. So let's kind of – what do you think about local versus macro? Like is, yes. there, is there a big benefit to working with like the small hop grower in your neighborhood or a bigger benefit to going with a big supply chain? Exactly. Or, right. Awesome. Right. So when you, you, you're right. You're kind of – I kind of – you're leading right into the, the next point. So what happens when you as a smaller brewer, even a regional brewery, can't get – the hops you want, you have a demand and there is no supply for it. Well, a lot of smart people out there, smart hop growers, malt farmers, malt house owners realize this. And um, so, yes, now there are hop farms in Michigan and Colorado and Idaho didn't exist 10 plus years ago, but because these breweries just needed more hops, needed more supplies they were able to get, um, the demand existed. And so someone said, this is a great idea. Let's make hops for, for, for bells. I mean, bells used to get their centennial from, Pacific Northwest, and now they just get Michigan hops, which is really cool. Uh, that couldn't have happened 10 years ago. And so uh, when that happens and there's a bottleneck, something's going to break somewhere. Either the breweries aren't going to be able to su- support themselves anymore um, or uh, the uh, the actual um, – or someone's going to step up and say, hey, I can actually help you out with this. Uh, I have a hop farm. Come check out my hops. And so the local versus macro, it's kind of like this really, um, really cool evolution that we have lived through and seen – where um, me personally, like there was a beer we brewed in Chamonix Creek called Churchville Lager that was our flagship lager. Um, it was it won the gold medal, the Great American Beer Festival in 2010, I believe, and then it won uh, bronze, I think, a couple of times. Anyway, it's a great it's a great beer. It was celebrated. It kind of put us on the map when that happened. Um, and then uh, we brewed a local version of it. So we brewed a we worked with Deer Creek Malt House. But it's a, a malt house in Pennsylvania, I think out near uh, Lancaster, PA. And 
just got all the malt for that beer from them and brewed like a taproom exclusive version of that beer uh, with just local malt. And it was amazing. And it had all these new kind of flavors and nuances and all the stuff about it that, that, that didn't exist before. Uh, and that malt house, though, it really came to be because of the growth of craft beer, because how so many brewers are opening up and the demand was so high. They were like, all right, now it makes sense to have a functioning malt house that can supply the 100 breweries that I'm closest to or, you know, whatever it was. So there again, it's, it's great. It's, it's, and it's the same debate you have and, and I have as a consumer of like, do I, you know, get that that shirt for two dollars less online? Have it dropped up to my store? Or do I go down the street and pay a little more for it? But I have it today. And so you're looking at convenience, economics, you're looking at um, all kinds of factors, just like any buying decision. A brewery goes through that same thing. Um, although there is a, it's kind of unique though, because with hops specifically, you are kind of trying to project out like years in advance sometimes of what will I need a year from now so I can reserve it today. And that's where things get tricky. But then you're talking about relationships now, and maybe it's easier to have a conversation with a hop grower in town or in the same state as me of, hey, I want to do this. I'm only prepared to commit to this, though. Can you work with me? Where if you're reaching out to maybe a larger supplier, it's dealing with more customers. Again, now you're just talking about kind of like that experience of, of, of you know customer engagement and how um, and building a rapport there that perhaps local suppliers would have an advantage on compared to larger ones. So it's very interesting, the economics of it. Uh, you know, and I, I had great relationships with both local reps for local uh, mall houses and hop growers. And then the national ones, all great guys, all, you know, providing an amazing service, but right. It, you have the freedom now as a brewery to shop around a bit and kind of explore some things and make some decisions based on whatever you value as a business of where you're going to get your supplies from. And so that that's great for the brewing world. Cause that means that, it's on the suppliers to provide the best product and service they can. And only that's going to trickle down to us drinking just better beer uh, because there's just more quality stuff out there, whether it be yeast, hops, whatever it is. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's, again, so many reasons for why now is an amazing time to drink beer. And just the quality in, of ingredients is, is one that, uh, that I love talking about and glad we are today. So I don't, I don't even know how to wrap all that up. But um, but one of the questions I, I had as a follow-up was kind of like the difference between sourcing locally versus sourcing macro. But it, it seems very much like all decisions, right? Like you might save yeah. a little money. You might sacrifice a little quality. Um, I want to I wanna finish this Beer 101 with hopefully an exciting question or at least something I think of all the time. And it's adjuncts. Yes. Um, you know, we talked about the coffee flavor in this beer. <laughs> We, you know, we could have added Madagascar vanilla to a version of it yeah, and, and right. on and on, like Oreo. So these are some of the most exciting flavors in beer today. They're, um, the question is, you know, like, is it always someone that's, you know, peeling limes and squeezing <laughs> them into a Mexican lager? Is it like, are there breweries where they're just chucking sleeves of Oreos into a mash tun? Or is it sometimes just an extract or, or something even more uh, obtuse than that? Talk about... Yeah. sourcing adjuncts and is there a benefit to having a costco card yeah right <laughs> <laughs> absolutely right we're gonna make a crazy nut beer let's get all the awesome all the salted <laughs> nuts from uh that'd be kind of tough and probably a mess there's a lot of fat nuts you don't really want fat uh fat in your beer is not gonna mix well but um but yeah so again kind of taking it back to the basics when you're making a beer you're just trying to pull sugar out of any source you can to turn that sugar into booze 
So where the sugar comes from obviously matters because you're dealing with beer yeast, so it can't eat everything. There's certain fermentable sugars you need to um, be giving that yeast to, to make a beer and not make some weird chunky soup um, that, that also gets you drunk, which would be weird, but I'm sure it's happened, like a wassail. Um, but, uh, but more to your point, um, <laughs> the, uh, so there's a brewery in town, uh, Wilmington Brewing Company. They do a couple beers a year. One is Donut Party, where they partner with a local donut shop. It's a porter, and they dump a bunch of donuts in the mash tun. They're brewing with donuts, man. Like There's tons of sugar in that already baked bread, that donut, and starches they can pull out and reuse and flavor. They also do a pumpkin pie beer. They put a hundred pumpkin pies in a pumpkin ale, and it's amazing. So it is really good. Right. Yeah. I love that beer. I love it. And and it's um, pumpkin's interesting. Um, we talked about it last year. We'll talk about it probably again this year, where it's such a starchy, such a fibrous, you know, fruit St- squash. Um, and it's <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And it's um, you know, so. So it, there's not a, it's not a lot of sugar, but it provides a lot of body, a lot of unfermentable sugars. So um, that's a cool example. For me personally, um, we brewed a beer at Neshemini Creek called Leon. It was a Russian imperial stout. And on the label, it said brewed with marshmallow fluff, chocolate, and graham cracker, cacao nibs and graham crackers. And all of those things went into that beer. Like it was no bottle of marshmallow fluff and we dumped it in and the fluff's done. Nope, that was some guy with a wooden paddle with a bowl <laughs> over a, a steaming pot of water trying to melt that down enough so that it could be looking enough to add it to a beer. So um, same with like the chocolate and uh, the graham cracker, crushing graham crackers and putting them in an actual, the that was put in the actual wort, the whirlpool, not in the mash. So that beer was a mess to make, but a lot of fun. We always barrel aged it. It was an amazing beer. So you're just sourcing the adjunct is, is referring to like another source, an adjunct source of sugar, of, of starches needed to make alcohol. So um, there are breweries that use extracts. I've never used them. And that's not a knock on extracts. Like at a certain point, a certain volume of beer, you can't put a thousand pumpkins in a hundred barrel fermenter or whatever. It's just not, it's going <laughs> to soak up too much water and you're going to try and pull beer out of it. And there's going to be no beer there. It's going to be all absorbed, you know, in that, that porous fibrous, materials that you're dropping in there so at a certain point it doesn't make sense to just use um to not use extract so uh we we never had to but again it, there's a very real reason if you actually want a beer in your glass and not again some chunky weird soup extracts have to enter in the equation at some point that's why they're they're there um and so um so yeah so but i spent tons of time and i spent so much time in a brewery pureeing fruit more than I realized I ever would. I would. There'd be days I would just sit in the back and just with a huge immersion blender the size of my uh, torso, just blending <laughs> peaches and whatever the heck they gave me to add to our barrel program. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's again, it's sweaty, you know, uh, boring. Well, not boring. It was exhausting. It was, I mean, you slip better than you ever had. Kind of like riding a jackhammer all day, but you're inside listening to heavy metal and smell like fruit afterwards instead of like asphalt. So there's some pluses there. Um, to an extent, but, uh, but yeah, there's, again, it's, it's all about personal preference. You have to look at logistics. You have to measure the right things. And I mean, every brewery I've encountered, they are, they're, they're all experts now at what they're doing. Um, which, uh, which is great. So don't, I would say, don't worry about that. If you're someone who's like, is this extract or is it the real thing? Trust that brewery to make that call on the floor based on their equipment and what they have to produce to make that right decision to deliver you an awesome beer in your, 
glass. There's nothing wrong with drinking some beer that had pumpkin extract in it. You may like it more. Maybe it's more pumpkin-y or something. And and if that's your goal, then they're checking off that checkbox for you, and that's a that's a successful beer. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's certainly fun. And yes, there are absolutely people peeling limes somewhere in a brewery probably right now for some lime go. So they got to peel a thousand limes tonight. That's your job. Welcome to work. And uh, and off you go to it. And probably happy to do it because you know at the end of the day, there's a beer waiting for him right in that tap room. That's probably the best. Uh, I don't know. New employee training. Um, right. Like, oh, man. What, what, what's it like to work here? Honestly, it's painstaking and really difficult. Right, um, exactly. And some days you're going to get here at five in the morning and you're yes. really going to wish you didn't get out of bed. But at the end, right. there's right. a beer. There's a cold beer. It's going to taste better than any beer you've ever had. Right. Do you have back problems? No. <laughs> All right. You will. Good. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> I know. That's all other episode we can do. My first day on the job, it was a, that was a trial. That's a very a trial by fire. I kind of walked into a very similar situation of, here is, here is, is this what every day is? I kind of walked away like, ah, all right, where is that beer? When do we start drinking here? Yeah. <laughs> he's drinking. Well, he's getting off work. You're starting work. You don't drink anything. All right. Never mind me. <laughs> oh man, that would be a great uh, a great tie off to the Beer One Hundred and One series. Let us know if you want to hear about Harrison's first brew day, uh, complete with claymate. No, um, oh, maybe. Um, what do we got coming up on the next Beer One Hundred and One? That's right. The next episode is the brew day. So we talked a lot about what do we need to make a beer? How do we get it in the brew house or in your home brewery, in your garage, or your kitchen, or wherever? Now you have all this stuff. What do you do? So we're gonna kind of walk you through step by step what happens on the day you make a beer. Um, I love it. It was, it, those were always the nights. I slept the best after a brew day. Uh, maybe I'll share some horror stories of what it takes to brew an 11 or I think it was a 12% quad. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Every, every morsel and fiber of your soul will be tested at five o'clock in the morning. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but, uh, but until then, John, where can everybody find us out there? I think everywhere. Um, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Podcasts. Yes, Google Podcasts is a thing now, and it's brilliant for you Android users. Um, YouTube. But more importantly than all that, seriously, it's you. Reach out to us directly on Twitter. Let us know what you liked or didn't like or want more of, or let us know what questions you have about the upcoming <laughs> Brew Day episode. Hit us up on Twitter. It's at That Beer Podcast. You can find me uh, and Harrison there uh, representing Drinking Socially. Otherwise, show notes for this episode will be available at podcast.untap.com. Connect with me, Harrison, or the whole Facebook group uh, if you want to get involved with all of us over there on Facebook.com slash Drinking Socially. Otherwise, yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers. Still a little beer left in this one.